The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Yeah, so if you are visiting or if you're watching online, hello guys as well. Um, if you're watching and wondering what's going on, we're in the midst of a series, probably getting towards the end, uh, about faithfulness. Um, this is our series at the moment, but this is also our theme for the year. Our ministry year, uh, for whatever reason, starts in September. And so we are very new into this 12-month period where we're looking at this term, faithfulness. Um, just before I sort of get on the road, I, I had a, a thought this morning. Have you ever had... Uh, an outrageous command or request, or maybe you've had a request and maybe you don't trust that person. You think, this is just bizarre. This is weird. Um, it's kind of where we're going this morning. And this happened to me a few years ago. Uh, I used to work at Hope, uh, the radio station. And out the back, you can't see this, out the back, there's about 10 undercover car spaces. And in the summertime, everybody wants these, right? Because it's stupid hot. Uh, but what you have to do is you've got to park nose to tail to get into a couple of these. So invariably, you're fencing someone in. And I got in a bit later. I had an appointment out, and I parked someone in. Her name was Sherry. She was, uh, I think, in accounts. Sherry normally stays back till 6 o'clock. I thought, I'll be out before her. No, no big deal. About 4.30 in the afternoon, one of my other workmates, who let's just say is renowned for not being terribly easy to read, whether he's joking or serious, uh, let's leave it there, um, he comes up and said, hey, man, Sherry wants to go. And I'm thinking, why isn't she telling me? Why doesn't she say something about it? And I said, you know what? She'll come and tell me. And he goes, no, no, man, I'm serious. She wants to get out of here. And I'm thinking, dude, I could never get a read on you. I'm just, you've pranked me so many times. I'm just going to leave this. Five minutes later, he goes, I think you should move your car. And I'm like, let her come and tell me. Ten minutes later, Sherry comes up the stairs breathless. She's like, did no one tell you what happened? I'm, like, oh, I'm seriously going to punch somebody right now. When the, when the person isn't trustworthy, you're a bit more reticent to obey, right? You're a bit less likely to listen. But if the person's trustworthy, you might be more likely, until the request gets a little bit, like, out there, until it's something really outrageous. And that's kind of what we're looking at this morning. Um, Shermel took us into Genesis. We're going to stay in Genesis. But if you want to flick forward to Genesis 22, we're going to be looking at um, another picture of Jesus, funnily enough, but through Abraham and Isaac's eyes. Uh, my title this morning is The Faithful Worshipper, because we've looked at all kinds of aspects of faithfulness during this series, faithfulness to God. And this morning, this passage will give us an insight into what it means to actually worship God. What does it mean to be a follower of God? And just as an aside, what does it mean to worship? We've had worship this morning so far in a sense, but there's more to it than just singing. There's more to it than just music, as good as that's been. It's been wonderful being in God's presence. Anyone voting with me this morning on that? It's been great, but that's not, just, that's not worship alone. There's more to it than that. Worship is our lives prostrate before God, our lives bowed down, living in surrender to Him. That's what worship really means. In, its, in, a, in a more full definition, I guess. And so this passage is going to help us understand what does it mean to be a faithful worshipper. So we're going to read a few verses here in Genesis 22. Uh, let's pray before we, before we get this going. Father, this morning we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, Lord, your love that has brought us, each and every one of us from 
God, all corners of the globe to Parramatta on this morning. And Father God, I pray that as we meet with you, as we commune with you here today, would you speak in this time, Lord? Lord, you promise blessing. Let him who has ears to hear, let them hear. God, we bring our ears to you today. We bring our hearts to you today. We want to hear from the living God. Would you speak in this time in Jesus' name? Amen. So Genesis 22, we're going to read down to verse 14. And if you don't have it, or if you don't have your device or whatever, uh, it'll be on screen as well. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he carried, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife out to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What a passage. What an amazing story. Before I dive into the observations, let's just talk a little bit about this test. Let's talk about this test that Abraham is undergoing. It's kind of unfair because Abraham doesn't know at this point this is a test. We know in hindsight, we've been told through the Bible. And before I dive into that, let's just have a quick recap. What is faithfulness? What are we talking about? What is this whole idea of faithfulness that we're trying to communicate here throughout this series? Well, faithfulness is loyalty. Faithfulness is commitment, allegiance, devotion, being sold out for Jesus. I love the definition from J. Hampton Keithley. He says, it's the fruit of faith. If faith is the, what's happening on the inside, well, our faithfulness is us living that out, us exhibiting that to God. And our prayer for the 
today and for this whole series is we will continue to grow as a church in that faithfulness, in that love, in that compassion, commitment, devotion to Jesus in the year ahead. And the reason we need to talk about this is faithfulness is kind of countercultural in our day. You'll probably agree. You know, workplace faithfulness is, is, is not a thing. People don't stay in jobs for very long. Marriage faithfulness isn't really a thing these days anymore either. And we think of, in terms of effort and reward, we think of achievement, we think of external signs and keeping up appearances and whatnot. But you see, faithfulness is so important because it's what's happening on the inside. And we know that God, while man looks on the outside, God looks on the inside. God looks to the heart. And so here we see Abraham, who is a faithful guy, a faithful follower of Jesus, or of, of, of the Father, I suppose. And what's been happening here? What's been going on in this period of time? Well, if you know the story, Abraham has waited for a son. Abraham has waited for the promise of God to be fulfilled. Now, he was 75 when God first spoke to him and said, you will be the father of a great nation. But that didn't happen tomorrow. It took 25 years for that to be fulfilled. Now, I don't know about you, but when the waiting's too long, we tend to want to help God out a bit, don't we? And Abraham thought, let's help God out. Let's have a child with Hagar instead. But God says, no, no, the promise will be your loins, Adam. um, Abraham, but you and Sarah, your child will be the one of promise. But when you stop and think that it would take another six centuries for Israel to be a strong nation and show up in the promised land, wow, wow. Faithfulness. God's faithful to keep his word, even if it takes more than a lifetime in this case. But here, leading into this test, there's a period of blessing for Abraham and Sarah. They're raising their son. The promise has finally arrived. Isaac is on the scene and they're raising their son. And and it says at the end of chapter 21 that Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines a long time and it's implied things are going really well. Then we get to verse 1. We've had this period of blessing and verse one turns up sometime later. I don't know about you, but I love the way the Bible understates these things. Sometime later, that was probably 20, 25 years later. And, you know, it's kind of like almost like no big deal, one fine day, you know. But, but the reality is this is a turning point. Something huge is about to happen here. And again, it's kind of unfair. Abraham didn't know there was a test, but God knows what he's doing. So... As this test unfolds, as we see God doing this work, we see two great characteristics of the faithful worshiper. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Well, Abraham gives us two beautiful insights. The first is this, that the faithful worshiper is an obedient worshiper. Faithful worship, true following of Christ is nothing if it's not obedient. When we say we follow Jesus, the implication is we're going to do what he says. Didn't he say that? He that loves me obeys my what? My teaching. If you love me, if you are mine, you will do what I say. You will do what I tell you. And we see here that Abraham comes in surrender. Abraham comes in just giving it all without any hesitation. He follows. He's ready to honor God even if the request is outrageous. I mean, all the context we just talked about, the son of promise, you've waited, you've waited, you went, now give him to me, Abraham. Come on up to the mountain, I'll show you where to offer him to me. 
I, if that was me, I'm like, God, can I, can I just see you for a minute? Like, you know, you promised this promise to me and now you're taking it away from me. But whatever wrestling Abraham did, it's not recorded here in the text. All we know is the very next day, early in the morning, he's resolved to do this quickly. Let's get out there and we'll go and do what God tells us to do. Giving up the son of the promise. Well, Abraham trusts. He obeys, you see. Because what does God ask from us? God asks from us to love him with heart, soul, mind, strength. Jesus is simply quoting the Old Testament there. It's nothing new. God wants all of us. God wants every part of us. And he asks for us to put him in first place. In fact, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago when Tanya Harris was here. You remember the seven churches in Revelation and Jesus talks to the Ephesians and they were a great church. They worked hard. They were disciplined. They held to the teaching of the apostles. They were doing all the good stuff. But Jesus says, this one, this one thing I have against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You've walked away from your first love. I don't know about you, that strikes at my heart because we can be busy doing the stuff, can't we? doing the thing, living the life. But if God is not center place, if my heart hasn't come in surrender first, it's a bit like what Paul said, isn't it? Without love for him, it's a clanging symbol. All the effort, all the things in the world that I do, but if my heart isn't for God, what's the point? What's the point? It would be a bit like this. If you were in a war situation and you get captured by the enemy, right? Now you're loaded with weapons. You've got your guns, you've got your grenade, you've got your landmines, whatever's on you. And you say, I give up, I give up. But, but, but can I hang on to the grenade? Can I hang on to the gun and the, the landmines and all this? You know, I'll, I'll do what you say, but I'll just keep them. That's absurd. You're probably gonna get your head knocked off by the, on, the enemy, right? Now we laugh about that, but do we come to God like that sometimes? Do we come to God saying, God, I will give you this, but, but maybe not that. I'll give you everything except for maybe this, you know. Abraham's asked to give his son, your only son, who you love. Look at that language. Incredible. He surrenders. But not only that, his obedience is sacrificial. His obedience is not just his heart saying, yes, God, I'll do it. He actually is, it's like, it's, it's not me first, God. It's you first. It's what you want. Worship is sacrificial by its very nature. Because if I put God first, that immediately means I'm second or less, maybe. Abraham was prepared to give Isaac back to God. See, in his mind, three days earlier, in his mind, he's already sacrificed Isaac, if you think about it. Because he resolved from then. Any point in the three days, he could have turned around and gone back home. But he's like, no, no, I'm going to do this. I don't know why. I don't know what God's got in mind, but I'm going to go. I'm going to honor him. And I mean, just to sort of back it up a little bit, David, at the end of the book of 2 Samuel, he's encountering a plague upon Israel. And he's like, what do I do? And someone gives him the tools and the, the beasts and everything to make an offering. And David's response, which every worship leader loves, I will not give that which costs me nothing. It wasn't enough for him to just receive the offering freely and say, yeah, God, I'll, I'll present it to you. The nature of worship is sacrifice. 
The nature of worship is I will give. And if it hurts, so be it. But I will give because God's worth it. God's worthy of it. And, And just on the other side, because we see impure worship in the Bible as well. You look at way back in Genesis 4, Abel was doing the stuff and giving his goats and his bulls and his sheep, but, but Cain's offering fruit and vegetables. Now, I'm sure that was pretty impressive, but God wanted a sacrifice. God was after a sacrifice. It's not that much to sacrifice apples. It really isn't. Join Android, I promise you, it's not that much. I think I just upset half the room. Come to the dark side. But seriously, it wasn't that big a deal. And that's why God's like, no, Cain, no, Cain, you're not getting it. It's sacrifice. How about Acts 5? You know the story, Ananias and Sapphira. They sold property to give to the church, but they they kept back some of it. The issue wasn't that they kept it. The issue was they lied. The issue was they said, yeah, this is is everything. I've I've got some in my back pocket, but I I won't tell you about it. And the integrity and the Holy Spirit and all that going on, they were slain just like that. Impure worship. They wanted man's praise as well as honoring God. You can't walk in both camps. We can't do it. It's God's honor and God's honor alone. And Abraham sees this. Now, again, in hindsight, we can see this as a test. But why was this only a test? Why would God do this, but then not carry through? Why would God eventually stop the hand of Abraham and say, that's enough, I see, I see. Why was he doing that? I think there's three reasons. Number one, as much as God delights in sacrifice, it's about the heart first. It's about obedience first. Samuel talking to Saul, Saul's like, Samuel, I've offered this, I've offered that. And Samuel's like, you will not be king because you've done it from an impure heart to obey is better than sacrificed. Obedience first. Because again, considering, you know, unwilling obedience, I mean, that's what army officers do. That's what the police do. It might've been what a few of you did this morning. You might not wanted to come in, but you're here. And I'll guarantee you, many of us will do it tomorrow at work. (laughs) Unwilling obedience, it happens, right? But God is saying, no, no, obey first. The sacrifice can wait. Let's get the heart right first. Secondly, when the law does turn up, because it's not here at this point, human sacrifice was illegal. God says, I don't want human sacrifice. It's not enough anyway, but hey, thou shalt not kill. Hello. And he goes on to say that if any of you, let none of you be found who sacrifices son or daughter in Deuteronomy. God didn't want a sacrifice from us, not of humans. That's not what he wanted. But number three, and I think the most significant reason, a better sacrifice was on the way. A better sacrifice was coming. Because you see, Moriah is where Jerusalem is today. That area where Abraham was going to lay Isaac down, that is Jerusalem this day. And they say the very peak is a hill called Golgotha. Stop and think about that for a sec. And a thousand or so years later, another Beloved son walked with wood on his back up those hills. Another beloved son was being made an offering for sin. But this time, you see, God sees Abraham's love and spares the son. But fast forward to Jesus. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
for you and for me. He wore what we could never wear. He carried the burden we couldn't lift. And so church, there's a better sacrifice that has come in our day. And so the question with all of this going on is not so much, are you going to? The question is, are you willing to? Have you let go of those things you are treasuring? Those things, those people, those achievements. Have you got hold of it? Or maybe has it got hold of your heart? Does it have hold of you? Or can you let it go for my sake? God wants to be first in our life and he will never be first in our life if something else is on the throne here. They can't coexist. That's just the way it is. And in the light of the gospel, in the light of the second Isaac, if you will, in the light of Jesus walking, bearing our cross, will we respond? Will we, as Paul says, count every achievement as loss for the sake of knowing him? Will we count it all as rubbish because God is so much more worth it? What will we do? How will we respond? Church, our prayer, my prayer, is that we would earnestly, passionately obey because of his worthiness. So the faithful worshiper is an obedient worshiper. But that's not all. There's more to it. There's another sign here. There's another characteristic that pops out in Abraham's character. Not only that the worshiper is obedient, but the faithful worshiper trusts. The one who is a true follower of Jesus really trusts Jesus. Because you see there in verse five, this has always staggered me. When they're heading up on the third day, Abraham looks up, he sees the place. He says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will return. We will come back. That doesn't sound like the language of someone who's giving up their son. That sounds like the language of someone who believes God's up to something. God's gonna do something far beyond what we can ask or think. Abraham knew that his God could be trusted. Because you see, it's like, yeah, God, I don't know why you're saying this, but I know that every time past, you've said, he is the embodiment of our future. He is the embodiment of the promise to Israel. So somehow Isaac's gonna come back. Somehow this is gonna be restored. Abraham knows God's no liar. God is not in the business of giving us something only to rip it from our hands again. God loves you. He won't do that, but he will test you with it to see that he's first. Do we want the gift or do we want the giver? That's the question we ask ourselves all our life. Are we pursuing God's hands? Are we pursuing his heart? Are we pursuing his face? What is it? What is it you want from him? You know, there's a lesson for us here, church. When God requests the impossible from you and me, what we think is impossible, he also equips us to do the impossible. There's no way Abraham could have done this, but he's like, okay, God, you're gonna do something I don't know I don't understand. And of course, as the story unfolds, a lamb is provided. A ram gets his, you know, caught in the bush there and that ram gets sacrificed. Hebrews 11 is really instructive in this, by the way. It really opens up what Genesis doesn't really say. Listen to this. It says that by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. We know this. He who had embraced the promises 
that's Abraham, was about to sacrifice his son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac who your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Remember I said, in his mind, in his heart, it's like, well, Isaac's, he's, he's yours now, God. He hasn't done anything to him yet, but he's yours. As far as Abraham's concerned, I may never see him again, but somehow God's going to do something. It's a little bit like Jesus dying to the will of the Father in the garden of Gethsemane. Because when that happens, that allows him to actually take up our cross the next day. It's that same kind of mindset, that same idea. So Abraham is a man of trust and the faithful worshiper not only obeys, but trusts. And I don't know if, you, if, if, this is sort of, if you're getting this, but they feed into each other. As we obey, we tend to trust God. And as we trust him, as we walk with him, we want to obey him more, don't we? These things feed one into the other, the closer we get. So you might ask the question, well, how is trust built? How do we get to this place? How is this trust? How is this obedience? How do we get to the kind of place Abraham is is, is sort of instructing us? Well, I think it comes back to two things. The first is, take a look in the rearview mirror. Take a look where you've been. And take a look where God has led you through to this point. Because that's what Abraham did. Do you know that in Genesis, in the little evidence we have, this is the seventh test that God throws at Abraham. And so every test prior, it's like, well, God, you've taken me. You've led me through. You have delivered. So I don't know what you're doing, but you haven't been wrong before. Now we sang it earlier. You have never failed me yet. Do we believe that? You know, if Abraham, it's probably a little bit before Abraham's time, but if he was singing a song, he might say, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Looking back and seeing God being faithful again and again. You know, church, in any relationship, whether that's with God or with people, isn't it true that it's the hard times, it's the testing, it's the trials that bring you together? It's the trials that solidify on my phone, I've got a photo of my kids and Cheryl because that's what you do. And I love looking at it. I never get tired of it. But you know, as much as we've had good memories over the years, it's the hard times that have made us stronger. It's the battles that have made us stand back to back against the world, you know. And isn't it true in your life, your, your close friends, your family, it's forged in fire. And it's the same with God. When the tests come, when the trials happen, we learn to trust Him more because we've got nowhere else to go. And we know he's been faithful every time previous. He's not going to fail us now. So first thing, looking back and seeing God being a faithful God again and again. But secondly, looking forward, walking with him, walking in intimacy with God. And I can't stress this enough. We cannot trust who we don't know. Like me back at Hope, I couldn't trust who I couldn't trust, couldn't I? My workmate missed a hair appointment, I think. But isn't it true? If we don't get to know God, we won't trust Him. If we don't get to know Him through His Word, if we don't spend time in worship, in prayer, we're not going to build that trust. It's just not going to happen. Time with God matters. And I hear this all the time. You know, it's quality time if you haven't got the quantity time. I'm not really sure that works in, in faith, in the Christian walk. Because... 
quality time with God tends, for me at least, tends to springboard out of quantity time. Sometimes it's not about, yeah, God, I'll give you five minutes and whatever. God's capable of speaking there. Let me not limit God for one second. But God wants our lives. God wants us, you know, and, and he's moved heaven and earth so we could be here, right? Isn't he worthy of it? Isn't he worthy of us giving our best to him? You know, I mean, we have a whole book to get through. I'm not asking you to read 20 chapters a day. Start with one. Start with a verse. Get your phone out and get onto the Bible app. Verse of the day. Today's verse of the day actually talks about spending time with him. So maybe go home and have a look at that this afternoon. But time with God matters. I can't stress it enough. You know, spending that time with him. And give time to listen too, by the way. Don't just talk, talk, talk. Give God time to talk back because he wants to speak. He wants to speak into your heart. But when we walk in intimacy with him, keeping an eye in the rearview mirror, seeing that God has delivered us every single time in the past, that's how trust builds. That's how obedience builds. Because the closer I walk with God, the less I want the sinful excitement I was saved out of. If I'm looking forward to Jesus and his image is, I mean, we're made in his image, but you know what I mean? Is if, as he's more and more becoming real in my life, I, the less I want this stuff. It really, as Paul says, it really is garbage. I think he uses more frank words than that, but let's, let's call it garbage. It really is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. So trust, trust and obey. There's no other way. And it comes about by being intimate, by knowing God's faithfulness in the past. As we sort of bring this to a close, I just want to share a story. You may have heard this about... I don't know, probably 1,500 years ago it would have been. There's a guy called Constantine. You may have heard of him. He was a Roman emperor. And he is said to be the first Christian empire, emperor of the Roman Empire. And he brought uh, Christianity into Rome, so to speak. Now, he also baptized his soldiers. You may have heard this. And the soldiers were told they were fighting for a cause. So come into the waters of baptism and you can be saved. Now, as you hear that, you might think, what's wrong with that statement? There's nothing about being an individual before God. There's nothing about responsibility. There's nothing about grace. It's just, I pronounce you a Christian. That's it. But putting that to one side, the baptism side is fascinating. I'm just going to show you a real quick photo. When the soldiers went into the water, they went in with boots, armor, helmet, but they raised their hand up above the water with the sword. Now, to me, that's really poignant. That's like, wow, I'm going to give you everything, God, but just not my sword. Just not my battle arm, you know? I can't offer that to you. It's going to do unspeakable things. And I cannot offer that to you, God. You can have the rest of me, God, but I'm keeping control of that. Now, you might turn around and say, Andrew, I'm not a Roman soldier. I'm not a crusader. I don't carry a gun. I'm not going to shoot people up. And indeed, you may not. But if we think we're immune from this, we need to stop. Because how many of us, as it were, keep our wallets out of the baptism waters? How many of us keep our phones? How many of us keep our relationships with our loved ones, our jobs? There are hundreds of things I could put there. But so many of us, at one time or another, have kept this away from God. And maybe some of us still are today. You know what it is. I don't know what it is. 
But so many of us, like those old Roman soldiers from back in the day, we're holding it aloft from the waters. You can have this much, God, but I'm, I'm, I'm keeping this for me. I'm keeping this for myself. What is our sword? What is it we're holding back from God? Pray that God would show us if there is, if there is in our lives, because today can be a day of healing. And so to close, I might just ask a few questions if that's all right. How do we respond to this? We see that God is not in the business of human sacrifice, thankfully. We have a better sacrifice. So how do we respond to all of this episode? Are we willing to obey God no matter what? Whether the request is kind of normal or kind of out there. Hey, he's an out there God, all right? Sometimes he does ask these things of us. Are we willing to obey him no matter what? Are we like the Roman soldier? We've held aloft our sword above the waters. Is there something or, or, or someone or whatever that's in our hearts that we are yet to surrender to Jesus? Is there something? And then thirdly, is he leading us in a direction and we're failing to trust? You know, rather than Abraham or even someone like Job, maybe we're more like Jonah. We hop on the boat and go in the opposite direction. Have we heard the, he, the, the voice of the Lord and yet we wanna, we wanna go in a totally different way? Because hey, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's really scary what God wants us to do. But like I said, if we get to know God, we will quickly discover He equips us for the impossible as well. Do you believe that this morning, church? This is the God we serve. Why don't we pray and then we might worship to close. Father, this morning, we thank you for this amazing example of faithfulness, God, of worship to you that came with no, no strings attached, God. And I pray, Lord, that as we reflect on this example, that we might aim to be that kind of Christian, Lord, where obedience to you is just that, Lord, obedience. No caveats, no yes, but not this but Lord, that we would give it all to you. Lord, I pray for any heart this morning that is uh, troubled by any of this, Lord, we might look in our souls and think, yes, there's something I've held back from you. God, today can be a day of restoration. Today can be a day of healing. Today can be a day of surrender for some. And so God, I pray that by your spirit, you would work upon us. Give us ears to hear your voice, Lord God. We thank you for your presence here, Lord. Lord, we thank you, you never convict, you never condemn, you always convict. You do it in love and you woo us back to you, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, if we have wandered, just let us receive your love today that we might come back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We might just sing chorus or so and if you'd like prayer, please come forward if you wanna pray about any of this. Uh, welcome you to do it. Thanks, Tim.
And so this morning as we leave this place, God, I pray that we would devote ourselves to faithfulness in all that we put our hands to do, everything we seek to achieve, Lord God, through the lens of being faithful to you. Lord, we pray your blessing on your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Again, if you want a prayer, please come forward. We'll be here for a little bit. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.